I'll encourage you to turn with me in your New Testaments to the book of 1 Peter. And while you're turning there, I'll, I'll begin by asking a, a question of those present this morning. And the, the question is, can you remember the last time that you greatly rejoiced about something? Can you remember the last time something happened in your life and, and there was just, as a result, this overwhelming sense of, of joy? Maybe it was the birth of a child, perhaps entering into a new relationship. Maybe it was a family reunion. Or it could have been something physical like a new house, like a new car, something that you would need for transportation or maybe a place that you would need to live, to live for your family. Or maybe it's a new job. Maybe it's a promotion. Maybe it's a step forward in your business. Something that you've been anticipating, something that is important or of value to you, and it happens, and you just find yourself greatly rejoicing. When was the last time that happened? One thing that each one of those areas has in common is that they're all subject to disappointment. Think about family. Good things happen in families, but bad things happen in families also. It's great to have time with family, but family can be a source of disappointment. Physical things can be a, a source of disappointment. You might have just thought you wanted that new house. You were tired of the repairs on the old one, and suddenly you find that the new one has some things that have to be addressed as well, or maybe it's a, it's a money pit. Maybe the new job isn't exactly what you, you thought it was going to be. Maybe this, this new relationship isn't exactly what you thought it was going to be, and it's gonna bring with it some disappointment. Everything earthly, even those things that are legitimate and good in the, in the sight of God and that, that have a place in life can bring disappointment. They may bring joy. They may bring us to a point of rejoicing, but they can also bring us disappointment. In 1 Peter, I want to revisit in the first chapter a passage that we recently covered in our Wednesday night Bible class because it's a, it's a statement that Peter made that won't let go of me. You ever have that in your Bible study? You read something and, and you've studied it before and you think you understand it and you, you, maybe even you teach about it and, and it just, it just kind of sticks in your mind though and it won't let go of you because there's, there's something you, you, you sense that needs to be said about it that you didn't say. Well, that's what I want to do this morning in, in 1 Peter with this statement that Peter makes in verse 6. In this you greatly rejoice. I asked earlier, when was the last time that you greatly rejoiced? Well, I think if you take the time to pay attention to what it is that Peter teaches us here, you're going to find some reasons why you can greatly rejoice rejoice. Now here's what in my study of this passage I came to that may have been a little bit different from some things I've seen in the past. In, in verse 6, let's, let's just read that statement. In this you greatly rejoice even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been 
distressed by various trials. And I think the point he's making there, especially if you look at the context of the, the letter that he wrote to those who were scattered throughout the, the province of Asia Minor, they're going to face trials. In fact, he said they're going to face various trials. And I think as we look at our lives, we can attest to the fact that life brings with it difficulty. It brings trials, and sometimes it brings various trials. As we often say, when it rains, it pours. Well, he's allowing for that, but he also states, as we read further, so that, verse 7, the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now that makes sense. He's telling us that if our faith is proven by trial, if we find ourselves tested and our faith grows stronger, then there's going to be a good outcome to that. Also, he goes on and writes in verse 8 with regard to Jesus, he who would be revealed at the end of time, that you have not seen him, you love him, though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice, there it is again, with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. Now, all of that flows, all of that makes good sense. It's not that difficult to get, get the concept, but here's something that I kept coming back to, and that is, does the phrase, in this you greatly rejoice, does it look forward or does it look backward? In other words, is he, is he telling us that we can rejoice because of our suffering? We can rejoice because of our trial. Now, there is an element of truth to that, whether or not he's teaching it. If you go to the book of James, it's just the, the book immediately before 1 Peter in your New Testament, James wrote in verse 2, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Consider it all joy when you encounter various trials because you know that that's going to produce a positive outcome in your life spiritually. And what he says specifically there, the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So what I can do then is I can have this, this perspective in life that, that looks at all of my trials, those, those various trials, those various difficulties, and I can say, this is all working for my benefit, and I can rejoice in that. And I would say that based on James chapter 1, and I would say it based on 1 Peter chapter 1, but in the original language, when you hear a preacher say that, you start thinking, oh boy, here we go, here comes that Greek. No, I'm not going to give you Greek, but I'm going to tell you that if you study that and you look at it in the original language, that phrase, in this, you greatly rejoice. The this is not the trials and the suffering, which can be a source of joy, properly understood. I don't really like that, though, as much. What he's telling us in this passage in this actually looks backward to what he wrote in verses 3 through 5. In other words, in this, in everything that I just said, you greatly rejoice. In everything that I just said, you can find reasons for joy 
even in the midst of trial. It's not the trial that's going to make you feel good. It's what you know. It's your conviction in the midst of that trial. Are you with me? Please, please tell me yes. I don't want to have to go over all that again. We're going to be here at noon. We can do that. In this you greatly rejoice. On the back end of that in verse 9, obtaining is the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your soul. The outcome of your conviction will be the salvation of your soul. Your conviction is what you find as a reason for rejoicing. Conviction in four areas. The big four. Number one, we are born again sons of God. In verse three, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's the God of Jesus. He's the Father of Jesus, but he's also the Father of us who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again. Now we think about being born again. You see that used often in the world of religion. You have to be born again to be a Christian. Jesus had that discussion with, with Nicodemus and he said you have to be born again. You have to be born of the water and you have to be born of the Spirit. And, and that, that elicited some questions from him about how that actually happens. But we understand that when we obey the gospel, we become children of God and that is only possible because of the new birth. We are born again, but we are sons of God. Now, how does that, how does that serve as a reason for rejoicing in the midst of trial? How does that serve as a, a reason for me to greatly rejoice in this when I'm encountering various trials? Well, it's just knowing that regardless of what may be taking place in my life, regardless of what it is that might bring disappointment, Regardless of what it is that someone may take away from me, there is one thing that's not going to change, and that is the relationship that I have with God. The new job may be a disappointment. The new relationship may be a disappointment. The step forward in life in, in physical areas may prove to be a disappointment. But in spite of that disappointment, I still have this relationship with God. In John chapter 1 and verse 12, the apostle wrote, John chapter 1, verse 12, But as many as received him, that is Jesus, to them he gave the right. You want to exercise your rights? You want to, you want to talk about your rights? Talk about this one. To them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. In this, I can greatly rejoice. It's not my first birth. It's not the birth that brought me into this life. It's the birth that I experienced in my baptism with Jesus. Now, that knowledge brings with it power. 
I want you to notice a couple of statements that this same apostle made in his first epistle. It's 1 John chapter 3, the first part of verse 1. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God, and such we are. There again is the idea that, that this relationship that we have with God, this, this new birth, this fact that we've been born again and that we can now be called the children of God, we have the right to be children of God, that's great. That is the love that was shown by God to produce that relationship was incredible. It required the sacrifice of his only begotten son. And then in chapter 5, here's the power for whatever is, chapter 5, verse 4, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Boom. Do you see it? If we're children of God, we can overcome the world. In this, you greatly rejoice. The world is going to be the source of so many of your trials, your difficulties, your problems. In this, you can greatly rejoice that you are a born-again child of God, and through that relationship, you can overcome the world, and the victory that has overcome the world is our faith. And as the result of our faith, we will be able to enjoy the salvation of our souls. Do you rejoice in that? When's the last time you got up in the morning and you said, man, I don't care what happens to me today. It's going to be okay because I got a father. I got a heavenly father. I got a powerful father. And he's going to watch over me. He's going to take care of me. He's got my best interest in his heart. But Peter doesn't stop there. He also writes that we have been born again to a living hope. We have living hope through Jesus. As if it were not good enough that he would say that through Jesus we have hope. Hope is confident expectation. It's not just a desire, it's not just a wish. When you hope biblically, there's no doubt. There is confident expectation. You know it's going to happen. As if that were not enough, the hope that we have, as he goes on to say, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, is a living hope. It's alive. Your confident expectation, it's living. It's inside you. It's alive. You've got a parasite, and it's called hope. And it's not going to leave you alone. As long as you cherish it, and as long as you embrace it, as long as you make it the anchor of your soul, and as long as you reach out to it continuously... In Philippians chapter 3, this adds some insight into statements made by Paul as he writes about, in Philippians chapter 3, his past and things that he gave up 
things that he gave up by virtue of the fact that he became a Christian. He states in verse 8, we'll, we'll go back up there, Philippians 3, verse 8, more than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing, and I always make note of the fact that he didn't say knowing about Jesus. He says, knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. And then in verse 10, that I may know him, again, not know about him, but know him and the power of his resurrection. What did Peter say? We've been, caught, we've been caused to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul said, I want to know that resurrection and the, and the fellowship of his sufferings, various trials that you experience in life. Paul says, I want to take those and, and I want to see the comparison between my suffering and the suffering of Jesus. I want to connect or relate those two in order, verse 11, Philippians chapter 3, that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Do you see it? He's looking forward to the resurrection from the dead. So from this point until the end of my life, there is something that is alive and it is my hope. It never will die. It is a living hope through Jesus. When is the last time you greatly rejoiced in that? In 1 John chapter 3, we'll go to that epistle once more. We read verse 1 of 1 John chapter 3 with our first point. Now let's look at 1 John chapter 3 and note in verse 2. Beloved, now we are children of God. We have been born again. And it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. In the same sense that knowing that I've been a born-again child of God, that is powerful. There is power in this living hope. As I fix my hope on Jesus, it continues to live because I know the closer and closer I get to the end, the closer I am to the time that I'm really going to see him. I'm not only going to be raised from the spiritual dead in this life, but at the end of time when the Lord returns, I'm going to experience the same power that raised Jesus from the dead as I'm raised from the dead, physical dead. I'm given a new body and I'm going to go home. We have a living hope. And regardless of what might be going on in my life outside as far as trials that doesn't change and I just put my mind back there and I find a reason for rejoicing the third that Peter brings out here is this concept that we can easy, easily relate to and that is an inheritance but our inheritance as sons of God is an amazing inheritance. You understand what an inheritance is. There's, there's mixed feelings attached to the inheritance. 
Because you know someone's going to have to die. Someone's going to have to die. Your parents, one passes. Typically it goes to the surviving spouse. And then the surviving spouse, your mother, your father passes, and whatever is there comes to you. That's your inheritance. But the unfortunate thing on this side of eternity, and so far as those inheritance are, are concerned, there is a death that is required. And then we receive the inheritance. But whatever it is that we might inherit, it's earthly, it's temporal, it can disappoint in time. But the inheritance that is ours by virtue of our being sons of God is an amazing inheritance. And we shouldn't be surprised that, that we can describe it in those terms because of the power of God. Look at what God has created. Look at the, look at the wonders of nature, all the beauty that we see around us in, 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 in the physical creation. Now think about all that. It's going to be destroyed. It wasn't created for eternity. It wasn't created to be there and to be ours forever. But whatever it is God has for us in eternity, whatever it is that we're going to receive upon our death, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, it's going to be very different. He says that resurrection is imperishable. It means it can't be destroyed. All physical things can be destroyed. But your inheritance will not be destroyed. It is undefiled. That means it can't be tarnished. A new house becomes an old house. A new car becomes an old car. That's not true with regard to our inheritance. And it will not fade away. I've always liked that one, I think, more than the other two. Because what it says is it's, it's not ever going to disappoint you. I made this comment, I think, when we did cover this in class, that we're not going to find ourselves, and I'm using time to discuss eternity, which you really can't do, but I'm using it to illustrate. You know, 10 million years in eternity. You're not going to wake up and say, I'm tired of this one. What's next? This, I'm done with this. I mean, five million years ago, it was still good, maybe seven and a half year, million years ago, but I've been here 10 million years. I'm, I'm tired of this part. Can you imagine something that will not fade away? It's, it's, it's unlike anything you would ever have in this life. It is an amazing inheritance. And it's reserved in heaven for you. It's waiting you got to die. But it's waiting. In Acts chapter 20, you can't help but note the statement that Paul made when he met with the elders of the church at Ephesus, and he commended them to the word of God's grace. In Acts chapter 20 and verse 32, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up, that is to edify you and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. In this you greatly rejoice, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. 
So there's a connection, again, between my conviction, my understanding, my knowledge, what it is that I know about the Word of God, and my reason for rejoicing, because I know there's something beyond this life. Elders need to know that. Christians need to know that. All of us need to know that. In Romans chapter 8, Paul, in writing to the church there at Rome, used these words to describe who we are in Christ. Romans 8 verse 15, You have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption. As sons, we, have, we are born again sons of God, by which we cry out, Abba, which means Father, Father, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. I know I've been born again when I do what God tells me to do to become a Christian. And in that sense, the Spirit of God is testifying with my spirit. I am a child of God. I know it because I've done what God has commanded. And if children, heirs, also heirs of God fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. And again, he pulls everything together. We suffer, we encounter various trials, but in the knowledge that we have an amazing inheritance, we can continue to rejoice. And then the final point is, in verse 5 of 1 Peter chapter 1, we are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation to be re to, ready to be revealed in the last, the last time. We're protected. What do you think of when you think of protection? Well, usually, maybe, hopefully, you're thinking of insurance. You know, insurance protects us against loss. But there are some things that insurance will not protect against. God will protect against those things. Do you feel protected by God? There's a human element to this. We're protected by the power of God through faith. Again, this is why faith is so important. This is why we, we build our faith. We, we develop our faith. We study the Word of God so that we can grow in faith. I'm not going to experience that sense of protection if I don't have that strong conviction. In John chapter 10, Jesus made a statement, and he's not teaching the impossibility of apostasy, but he is, he is teaching assurance. In John chapter 10 and verse 28, Jesus said, I give eternal life to them and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Well, if my faith is as it should be and it is growing, there's my protection. It's that promise that no one is going to snatch me out of the Father's hand. I will never perish. Paul had some things to say about that too in Philippians chapter 4 when he wrote to the church at Philippi about rejoicing in the Lord. And that's what we're talking about, isn't it? It's greatly rejoicing because of the relationship that we have with God the Father through God the Son, Jesus, 
Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Well, how do I greatly rejoice always in the midst of various trials? How do I do that? It's, it's, it's because of what I know. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You see, it doesn't mean that we're bulletproof. That is, that we're protected by the power of God. Doesn't mean we're going to, we, we, will, we will not experience pain or suffering or affliction or the loss of loved ones or, or financial setbacks. Doesn't mean any of that. It just means that your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus will be protected or guarded by the power of God through your faith. If you're worried about suffering, if you're anxious about something, don't let it be those things that are perishable, that are subject to decay, that are subject to disappointment. Let it be your faith. You be bothered by the fact that your faith is not where it needs to be because your faith is what will allow you to obtain salvation. I hope these thoughts have helped. If you're here this morning and you have never obeyed the gospel, then our desire in the singing of the song that has been selected is that you will come forward and confess your faith. You'll take that first step. Confess your faith that Jesus is the Son of God, repent of your sins, and then be baptized to have those sins washed away. You will be a born-again child of God. You will have a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus. You will have an amazing inheritance. And that faith that will save you will also protect you by the power of God. That's an invitation. Please, if you're saying it to it, tell me. We're standing safe.